What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us to get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, we begin with coronavirus as the UK will today host the first virtual meeting of G7 leaders since the onset of the pandemic. Roger, the global vaccine rollout is front and centre after Boris Johnson said that the UK is going to donate the majority of surplus coronavirus vaccines to lower income countries. Also, the US plans to contribute as much as $4 billion to that COVAX initiative France will donate 5% of its secured supplies. And all this comes, of course, ahead of Monday's much-anticipated announcement on reopening the UK. Today, there have been warnings another lockdown could be brought in if there's a sudden rise in cases. The Foreign Office Minister, James Cleverley, has refused to rule out reintroducing tighter measures in the future. We very, very much hope that this will be the last uh, lockdown. We can't give complete 100% certainty because viruses don't work like that. But we are doing, we are nowhere doing the right things. We can see it's having an effect. So, James, cleverly there. Well, Boris Johnson has previously said that any plans for the easing of the current restrictions would be irreversible. But for Professor Andrew Hayward, who is a member of the government's advisory group, NerveTag, says that there does need to be flexibility. Whilst none of us want this to be reversible, we do need to be prepared that if those figures aren't showing what we hope, uh, that we may need to tighten up again uh, whilst vaccine continues to be rolled out. And the Prime Minister will set out his roadmap out of the lockdown on Monday. So for today's special programme, we thought we'd get the views of two people on very different, contrasting ends of the argument. In the second half of the programme, we're going to be hearing from Dr Julian Tang, who's a virologist at Leicester University. But first, let's hear from Hugh Osman. Now, he's an entrepreneur, businessman, founder of Punch Tavern, Sun Capital Partners, also of various eateries. He's also a significant donor to the Conservative Party, and he has been highly critical of the lockdown. He joins us now. Hugh, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Can I just quote back to you a, a pinned tweet on your Twitter? page. Laws that make normal behaviour criminal, remove all freedom of choice and imprison people in their own homes should surely be resisted regardless of the extent of any crisis. I mean, I think that sets out your position very clearly. But what would be your advice to Boris Johnson then about what he should say on Monday? Well, um, I stand by that tweet. And I think all the evidence around the world is that targeted measures don't, um, targeted measures work, blunt measures don't. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there's a bit of ignoring of the hard data on that. But um, that's not necessarily the, the matter at hand. I mean, what I would say to Boris now is that we've got 17 million people vaccinated, I think uh, will be the case as of today. 
which uh, Matt Hancock estimated and has said several times publicly should reduce the number of potential deaths by 90%. And we've got at least uh, another 15 million with post-infection immunity. Sorry, that's not necessarily another 15 million. But that means we've got 25 to 30 million people are immunised, so are immune or resistant to this virus. We've also, we have met the tests that were very clearly set out by Boris Johnson at the start of this latest lockdown. We have vaccinated uh, most of the vulnerable groups, all the key vulnerable groups. We have dramatically falling in infections. We have dramatically falling hospital admissions. We have dramatically falling deaths. The NHS is now in no danger of being overwhelmed. So we're well ahead of where Sage thought we would be. And there is absolutely no reason to keep any measures. I mean, I can say that going into the spring and summer as, as we are, there will be no major outbreak over the spring and summer. We should be prepared in the autumn. But right now, there is absolutely no reason not to open everything up completely from the beginning of March. Hmm. So that is what you would want to hear then from Boris Johnson on Monday. What would you say to people who would argue that this virus has killed uh, almost 120,000 people in the UK so far? And although hospitalisations are going down, deaths are still mounting. Surely we have to prevent any more? No, deaths are reducing. I mean, the, the, the thing, as I say, and I don't want to dwell on this because it's such a, a stale argument, but there's no evidence from anywhere in the world that, that blunt measures like lockdowns work. I and mean, if you take just two absolutely standard examples in the same country, you know, California versus Florida. California, one of the hardest lockdowns in the world from right at the beginning of the epidemic. Florida, uh, no real lockdown, everything open throughout. And actually, Florida has suffered slightly worse, a slightly fewer deaths, a slightly better outcome. Um, than California, which is still um, suffering deaths. You know, we don't know why this is. And obviously, intuitively, you'd think lockdowns would work. But the data contradicts it. You know, wherever you look, if you look in Japan or you look in Sweden, you look in California, Florida, South, North Dakota, all around the world, there is no evidence lockdowns work. And in, and, and therefore, it is just virtue signaling to do lockdowns and, and, and it doesn't achieve anything. So we should be looking at measures that do work and not at ones that are proven not to. Well, Hugh, let me counter that by saying, I mean, there is some evidence lockdowns work. I mean, you look at China, you look at various parts of, of Asia where they've had far less uh, by very strict lockdowns. Taiwan was very key on this. Uh, if, you, if you like, Taiwan New Zealand. Taiwan didn't have a lockdown. They, they Ta- kept Taiwan the place didn't. completely empty. They took everyone away from moving into the country and they imposed very strict test and trace. I mean, there are lots of examples of places where when you clamp down quickly and hard, you managed to deal with it. And many people feel that's exactly what should have happened a year ago. I, I think if you go back a year ago and and you can prevent the outbreak getting hold in, in the very first instance, that is theoretically possible. And, and New Zealand, which obviously is 3,000 kilometres away from the nearest civilization, so not a very good example, and with a low population, and if you're prepared to cut your population off from the rest of the world... That potentially can work or or either you act very early and strictly like South Korea and China. But once the disease has got established and in international areas with lots of travel like Europe and um, US and other areas, once it has been established, there is absolutely zero evidence 
that lockdowns work anywhere in comparable countries. In fact, the evidence, bizarrely, is very slightly that lockdowns seem to make, uh, seem to produce more deaths than the countries that don't lock down or the regions that don't lock down. We don't know why this is. Perhaps it's making mm. people stay inside to increase the infection. But if anything, once you have the disease endemic, lockdowns make it slightly worse. So we shouldn't use those. What we should be doing is, is looking at measures that, that do work. As I say, the yeah. virus, this will not come back over the summer. The risk may be in the autumn. That's when we should prepare for Okay, but but you and I are not doctors or virologists, as far as I know, Hugh. Unless you're going to pull out a degree that I didn't know about, and so surely I, I should... have got a medical degree, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then, surely we should listen, though, to the body of scientists who do advocate for this, and certainly have in the UK. Well, no, I think the the the, the danger in doing that is that you know, epidemiology has been, you know, studied in, you know, for at least 300 years, you know, probably starting really in the late 1600s, but uh, but with a more data-driven approach since the end of the First World War. And, you know, both the WHO and indeed the UK itself had very carefully prepared responses for pandemics, which has long been known by Western governments to be one of the key risks that faces a modern society, particularly, you know, with the increased urbanisation and the increased numbers of, um, the, of the elderly in a not very good state of health. So this was very well prepared for, as they thought. And there was a, a playbook written, you know, both by the WHO, by the UK and all Western countries. The prob- And none of those playbooks recommended measures, blunt measures like lockdowns, which, you know, are known not to work. And unfortunately, what happened, the first sound of gunfire, as it were, all the preparations that were made by countries such as the UK and by the WHO were thrown out of the window. And we we careered down mm. this China-induced pathway of lockdown. So it definitely was not the science. If anything, it was abandoning well, uh, the science and abandoning epidemiology over a, a 300 years study. Well, you're saying abandoning the science, but the fact is there are many, many highly distinguished virologists and epidemiologists out there who would gainsay what you say, ab- observing the current situation as it is, and they're doing the experimentation. They're doing the, they're doing the necessary evidence-based research that leads them to this conclusion. So shouldn't we at least say, well, perhaps they've got a point? No, I mean, they, no, I think there's very little evidence. I mean, there's a lot of modelling, and you must make a distinction between the modelling of how you think things ought to behave, you know, so that if lots of people are together, there should be more infections. You know, this is the modelling, and you can model and say if more people associate. But unfortunately, once, and, and that's all very well at the beginning of the outbreak, you do your models. But once the data contradicts your models, and you have examples like California versus Florida or North Dakota versus South Dakota, or you know J- Japan versus the UK, you have to start to say, well, you know, Japan didn't have lockdown. It's got 130 million people, but several of the most crowded cities in the world, more crowded than London, you know, some of the most crowded. And you have to look and say, why have they got so few deaths? This shouldn't. This does not agree with our model. And if it doesn't agree with the model, you can't carry on saying the model is correct. You have to look at the hard data, and and move from your model. You have to accept you are wrong. Mm and move to what the hard data is telling you. If it contradicts what you thought, I'm afraid you have to change your mind. You know, SAGE has not changed its mind. They've relied on models throughout. And it's been a disaster. And that's, you know, ultimately why we've had so many deaths. They've ignored the data and stuck to beliefs, you know, like a religion 
you know, that's the antithesis of um, science. It's certainly uh, not science. You know, as for the virology, there's very little virology in in the, the these models, by the way. I mean, yeah. Neil Ferguson is a physicist, not a medic. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, back to the subject of our special programme then today. What should Boris Johnson lay out next week as the way to get out of the lockdown? Uh, We uh, have heard also this morning that whilst many people may agree on wanting to return to normal life, the latest polling about where the public stands on easing measures is actually both polarised and cautious. Joe Twyman, the director of Delta Poll, spoke to us earlier on Bloomberg Radio about what voters think. This is something that has been consistent in public opinion in the UK really for the last year now as the as the outbreak has, uh, has continued. The themes that have come through time and again in polling are that people believe that the rules don't go far enough and were introduced too late. There's a general consensus among a large proportion of the British population that the government hasn't done enough. And generally speaking, the British public errs on the side of caution. And so that means that when it comes to relaxing the rules, they would prefer to wait a little bit longer, wait and see. Well, the government's been keen to say it's always led by the science, of course. So let's hear from a scientist, Dr. Julian Tang. He's a consultant virologist at Leicester Royal Infirmary and honorary associate professor in the Department of Respiratory Sciences at Leicester University. And he joins us now. Uh, Dr. Tang, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Well, let me ask you, if you were advising Boris Johnson this weekend, if he sat down with you and said, what should I do? What should he announce next week? What would you say? Well, I would caution him about relaxing the um, restrictions too early despite dropping uh, virus case numbers, as we saw from last summer. And even in the November lockdown, although the case numbers are dropping, there was still a massive resurgence after those relaxations, uh, those restrictions were lifted. And that's partly because of the lack of immunity overall in the population. So it's not just the case numbers you have to look at, it's actually the, the, the amount of herd immunity by natural vaccine-related uh, immunity that the virus can actually then spread into once we relax the, relaxa- uh, relax the restrictions. So I would be very cautious about that. Now, of course, the problem is that once you've protected the elderly, you won't get those kind of uh, dramatic hospitalisation and death numbers that you're seeing that led to the previous lockdowns, stimulated the previous lockdowns. But what you might see then is a circulation of the virus in the younger population that may lead to long COVID uh, going further on. And that may be inevitable because if the government finance uh, support terminates at the end of April, people have to work uh, back in the mm-hmm. community, even though they're actually not protected and allow that virus circulation to continue, even though it may not need to another lockdown because of that protection of the elderly vulnerable population. You may get long COVID appearing in that younger working population uh, further on. Well, what would you say to people um, like Hugh Osmond that we spoke to a little bit earlier, who says, you know, look at countries um, where they haven't enacted a lockdown and you actually get quite different outcomes. I mean, for example, there's a bit of a mystery around India and why cases there seem to be going down very rapidly. 
do you really believe that lockdowns actually work against the pandemic um, on all of the evidence that we see around the world now? So I think the lockdowns work where you have uncontrolled spreading of the virus uh, across the population, and UK is a very relatively high-density population. The the example of India is interesting. Uh, we're not quite sure what the reason is for this. We saw some uh, high-density spread of the virus uh, in New Delhi, for example, earlier last year. Um, but I'm also not sure what the coverage of the testing is in India, because it's a vast country with a lot of people. And the testing uh, may not be keeping up with the spread of the virus. Plus, there may be a lot more asymptomatic spread uh, in some of those uh, in some of those populations in different rural and urban communities. But again, really, just just focusing on the UK situation, we have found, and Europe, we found the lockdown does work to curtail the uh, spread of the virus fairly quick, very quickly. But the thing is, the resurgence post lockdown, once we relax restrictions, has been seen across Europe. Uh, as a consequence of that. So I think we have to be careful uh, going forward whether or not you believe the lockdowns work or not. I think the the consequences of that uh, can be uh, still a problem. Okay, well, given all that, and let's assume you've still got Boris Johnson's ear, you've told him to be cautious. If he said, well, look, can I open schools on March the 8th? Would that be prudent? Can I begin to uh, suggest that people can meet together, perhaps outside, in larger groups in a week or two's time? Again, would that be prudent? I mean, where does it go in terms of a timescale? So uh, I know this is tricky, and there are many different ways to to do this, but if you have a stepwise relaxation of the restrictions just to see whether the virus starts to surge again, particularly when you reopen educational establishments like schools and universities, and then some of the less risky, more socially distanced and spaced activities, uh, maybe like outdoor dining or outdoor uh, socialising events, you may then see whether the virus is going to rebound to any extent uh, in that uh, younger, non-immunised population. Now, we know that the prevalence of antibodies is is higher in the younger population you know, uh, through natural immunity. But it's really how that interacts with the uh, surge of the virus and these new variants once the lockdown is, re- is relaxed at the moment. So that's a very tricky situation. And I think a gradual easing with lower risk activities um, mm-hmm. may be the way forward. With the schools, I'm not entirely sure that the schools are a lower risk uh, activity because everything else tells us that children are reservoirs of respiratory viruses. They shed a lot of virus for longer. There are a couple of studies, one from Boston, USA, one from South Korea, showing higher viral loads shed for longer in children with COVID. That doesn't always tally with what the UK says team presents as evidence for UK uh, children transmission, but the fundamental virology, virology is still there. I think mm. children are a source of this virus, and I think that they will be spread from children. Okay, so then what about the time scale? Where does that leave us? Can can we uh, you know be opened up by summer, let's say, or in a few weeks' time? How do, how quickly can we do this? So the thing is, if the vaccination continues at pace, uh, like vaccinating all adults by autumn. Uh, that immune barrier will gradually squeeze the virus into a younger, younger population. And hopefully uh, they'll be more immunised and actually get infection, of which, you know, we know that 5 to 10% may actually lead to long COVID. I'm hoping that the vaccination, and the vaccination is not 100% effective, hoping that the vaccination will actually not um, 
uh, will not fall behind the spread of the virus once the restrictions are relaxed post-lockdown. So that's a kind of tricky situation. Um, the virus is racing to spread. Uh, can we keep up with the vaccination uh, uh, to kind of uh, curtail that spread uh, over time? So I, I, it's going to be very tricky. I think the longer the uh, lockdown relaxations take, will give more time for the vaccine to catch up. And in that circumstance, I mean, just, just taking what you're saying there, I mean, let's ask the question that people are asking quite widely now. Would a summer holiday be an absurdity? Would a summer holiday simply cause more problems? Or would it be something that people can at least put in their diaries and say, yes, maybe July, August, it will be feasible to do that? Okay, so personally, as a virologist, I think that might be risky because what you're doing is mixing and matching viruses from different continents, different countries within different populations, uh, and those countries will have different levels of vaccination coverage, uh, and also different variants will arise uh, in those different country populations that will then mix and match within other countries. I think I think that if you have a summer holiday, you'll find the virus surging in different areas and new variants are, uh, appearing in different areas, uh, mm. especially those which have less of vaccine less of vaccine coverage by that time. Unfortunately, um, that's what I think as a virologist. Yeah. What about um, the other issues though around the health costs of neglected conditions, non-COVID related, you know, the pressure on the NHS, which has cancelled so many operations and other normal procedures, mental health effects of isolation. I mean, surely those enormous costs need to be considered more. I mean, we hear more and more about those those issues. Yeah, so... Um... I think that we can reintroduce those other healthcare um, services during a slower relaxation of the lockdown. I think that is also prudent because you don't want a widespread community spread of the virus in those other patients that have to come to hospital for other reasons because that then just sees the hospital population with you know, virus from the community again. So I think a, a gradual relaxation of the lockdown in line with the vaccination program will also help to protect patients coming in for these other healthcare services that are required. Um, and if you have, basically, you have, to, you have to reduce the community spread of the virus to um, prevent multiple problems, including infection in schools and households, that in, in uh, recreational and social hospitality settings, as well as uh, being imported into the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to really um, taper this uh, lockdown relaxation over time, and that will benefit other healthcare provision as well. But but just to make an obvious and brief point at the end, uh, Dr. Tang, the poverty is what leads to a lot of death as well, and keeping the economy basically not working, I mean, isn't there a risk really of doing more damage <coughs> trying to deal with the virus than, than it actually causes? So we know that, um, I mean, even if you hear in the UK and Leicester, for example, there have been lots of you know, younger textile workers working through lockdowns. We know about this. We know that the finance is not adequate to cover all these uh, businesses. And uh, people do have to work through, sometimes through the lockdown, clandestinely to, to you know, make a living, feed their families. And going forward, uh, if you relax the lockdown and you know, let everyone go back to their working lives, which I know is necessary, and the virus surges again, then those who are the least advantaged in, in poverty, uh, in the lowest paid sectors, mm. in hospitality, for example, will also suffer. 
uh, if there's another lockdown or local lockdown yeah. that terminates those businesses as well. So you have to prevent overall community spread of the virus to protect all the sectors, health, economy, education. It's not just uh, protecting one uh, will we'll cover the others. You have to stop the- this community spread overall. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.